Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Welcome back to Touchy Subjects. I'm Sean. And I'm Amanda. And today we have a special guest with us, Cindy Aravalo. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Cindy. Thank you for having me, Sean and Amanda. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we're really excited about this. <laughs> so really quickly, Cindy, will you could you just introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. So my name is Cindy Aravalo. I'm an entrepreneur with my husband. Uh, me and him have a, a financial service business that we run together. And now my new mission is to come forward and inspire others to tell their story, especially survivors of sexual assault and rape, to let them know that there's community out there that can help them and that they are not alone. And that is a mission we can 100% stand behind and we would be willing to help you with any way that we can. But I know you have a new book that came out last week. So would you like to share with our audience a bit about that book? Yes, of course. So I am really excited. It is my first book. Um, so this is where I tell, tell it all. Um, it's pretty much my story of how I survived being sexually abused and raped by my substitute teacher from the age of 14 up until I was 19 of age and how I overcame that abuse and moved forward with my life. So, Cindy, what kind of led you to wanting to write this book? To empower other women and men to come forward more than anything, just because I do believe that being a survivor myself, I can relate to them thinking that we won't be believed, being afraid, being ashamed, being embarrassed to even speak up and say, this happened to me. And that encouraged me to write my book, to give others a voice back, to let them know that they don't have to live in silence or in fear anymore, that they can get help, that they can move on from the trauma. Awesome. Um, and so you said that the abuse started when you were 14 years old and it was um, a substitute teacher. So we know that this happens quite often in our systems. Um, for every case that we see, you know, reported, there are plenty that are not being reported um, because a lot of younger teens don't understand what's happening to them. Um, and they also will have that fear of, you know, whatever the abuser is telling them. Um, so do you want to maybe talk to us about just maybe some things that people can watch for when it comes to that grooming from an, an older person in power to a teenager? Yeah. So for myself personally, I would say, um, I think it's very important that a parent should be well involved with their child, have a, an open relationship with them where they can feel comfortable just talking to them about anything, even if it is uncomfortable. Um, I think it's important that 
we talk to them about sex, not necessarily that we're trying to get them to have sex early, but just to let them know that, hey, this person might come on to you and tell you maybe this, this type of word, or they might use some type of slander that, that the child can realize is not appropriate for them at that age, that it, it could even be from maybe not necessarily somebody that's much older than them, but it can be somebody, maybe one of their peers that's being inappropriate with them also. I would also recommend that if you see the child being isolated, being depressed, keeping to themselves, not wanting to open up, if you ask them how their day is going and they're just kind of shutting down, they don't want to socialize with other people, I would say that's one of the red flags to look out for that something's not right, something's off at that moment. And I think it'd be a good idea to talk about it. And as uncomfortable as it sounds, let them know that they're, they are safe, there's a safe place. Maybe if they don't feel comfortable talking directly with a parent, maybe with an uncle, with an aunt, or with the school administrator, somebody else that they trust, maybe a friend that they're more comfortable with in order to come forward. Yeah, we know that when we talk to our kids about sex, educating them and giving them the proper names and just the correct information is vital in keeping our kids safe because they're going to learn about it from somewhere. So if as parents, we are actively choosing to ignore having those conversations with our kids, they're going to learn it from somewhere else. And we can't be sure that the information that they're learning is correct. So if we want to keep them safe, sure, it might be an awkward conversation to have, but they're conversations that need to be had. Right. And especially when we're when we're talking about, um, you know, an, an adult who is grooming someone, um, which I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of our audience knows what grooming is, but it's it's. Do you want to talk about what grooming is so that people are a little bit more aware um, of kind of the dynamic of it? Yeah, so how I define grooming is getting to know the person on a very personal level for their own benefit, for their own interest. For example, I would say if they start asking questions of, um, at what time do your parents leave to work? At what time do they come home? How often are you home alone? Are you close to your parents? Are you close to any family members? If so, how close are you? Are you with them? Do you have a good relationship at home with them or not? Do you communicate with them often or don't you? That's a way of grooming and letting them know, okay, once they have that insight, it's, well, you're beautiful. You are seen you are known I see you I think you're pretty and you know that outfit looks great on you those earrings look great on you because that's what ended up happening personally with me was he had quick access to the inside of my home and he saw clearly I wasn't close to my mom or my dad or my sister at home that I didn't have a good relationship with them and he knew how insecure I was as a teenager at the time and that's where he pretty much grasped in to start complimenting me, to start teaching me about sex and boys and what people that are in love do with each other to show that love to one another. Yeah. People who are grooming, like, like the questions that you listed off, Cindy, they're looking for a vulnerability. 
if they can find that vulnerability that gives them something to latch onto and that gives them then the ability to use that against that person to be able to get them to do things that they want them to. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. I know it's not easy to share those things, but um, I applaud your strength for not only willing to, be, willing to share them with us, but also with a large audience because whoever finds your book is going to be able to find out about your story. But I do want to jump in a little bit. Um, so is there anything that you would want to share about your story with our audience to help them maybe get more of a grasp on how this can look in kids? Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I know you mentioned the grooming that took place and everything. What did it look like at the start? So I know you mentioned like the grooming and him asking those questions, but what were some of the things that could have been recognized early, maybe from people on the outside, that might have helped in that moment? At that moment, I and I and I have this in my book, I do think that there was a lot of red flags where people were wondering and were curious and they did have a suspicion, but for whatever reason, they just never really said anything. So for example, I remember clearly my, my PE teacher told me one day, Sunshine, I don't feel comfortable you being around him, referring to Mr. Arnold, which was the substitute teacher. When I asked him why the bell rang and that's where it stayed, the conversation never moved on from there. So even as the days went by, I could tell he was very uncomfortable, but he never gave me a reason why I should stay away or why he felt uncomfortable. Then I had a couple of other friends tell me, I think he's creepy. And it, it led to the same thing where they never explained why. So I think there was red flags. I think people were noticing, but maybe they were afraid to say something at the time. I'm not sure why, but I would say that it started as a friendship between me and him, him getting to know me, me getting to know him. And then it developed into a crush on my part because at the time I, I never had a boyfriend. I, I was interested in boys, but I, I never felt pretty enough to, to date a boy from my school or anything. And he knew that. So he felt to, like he could take the initiative to show me that, yes, he was an older man, but that he also liked me and the feelings that I felt for him, he felt the same way back for me. So how he, you could say that he pretty much kept me quiet throughout the years was by telling me that if I said anything, he would get in trouble, I would get in trouble, and I wouldn't want that to happen. So that was one of the main reasons why I stayed quiet while I was in middle school. Throughout my high school years, then I met my boyfriend who is now my husband. And when I told him about him, he wanted me to break up with him instantly. It's like, no, you don't know what you're doing. You can't think for yourself. You don't know what you're saying. This boy's gonna hurt your feelings, gonna break your heart. And I'm not going to do that to you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna love you. And you just don't see that because you're so shallow because I'm overweight, because I'm this. And he would try to make me feel bad and really doubt my thinking when it came to me trying to make personal decisions for myself. So then he started blackmailing me and telling me that if I didn't break up with my boyfriend, he was going to tell him about us 
and I didn't want to break up with my boyfriend and I didn't want to lose him at the time. So that was another reason why I stayed quiet because I felt that I had to protect my relationship with my boyfriend from this man that I couldn't get rid of at the time. And I think that what you're saying, like part of, you know, your, your story here is really going to resonate with a lot of especially younger girls who, you know, might develop that crush on a teacher, the older person, especially if they're getting attention from them. Um, you know, it, it can make someone feel more sophisticated, older, um, sexy in a way that, you know, they'd never have before. And predators know this. They thrive on that. They know what they're doing and they're making uh, a younger girl feel like she's being noticed for maybe the first time and then they can start manipulating. Um, So, Cindy, when you were talking about the things that um, the people close to you were saying at the time, at like the initial onset of these interactions with your um, uh, substitute teacher, I kind of want to um, expand on this a little bit or have a discussion on what things people can say when they have these suspicions. Because just telling somebody, oh, hey, that guy's creepy. Yeah, sure. They might be pointing that out to you, but that isn't necessarily going to give you all of the recognition that, oh, hey, yeah, maybe this is inappropriate or maybe that guy is potentially going to harm me. So what do you think could be said in those early circumstances to kind of help potential victims or help these victims be able to understand what they might be experiencing as inappropriate or bad? Yes. So I would say from my PE teacher, I would appreciate it if he would have told me it's inappropriate for a staff member and a person of his age to be so close to you, to be asking you so many questions, to be having you help him out with so many tasks around campus and explaining to me that, you know, he might harm you, probably not necessarily telling me he is going to, but there's a chance that he might do something to you. And just pointing that out for me. And then for my friends, I would also say, you know, expanding on why they thought he was creepy. And they could say, maybe it's the way that he looks at you, the way he brushes up against you, the way he thigh or how he hugs you or the compliments that he makes those are inappropriate a person of his age shouldn't be doing that to you yeah so when we're talking to people a lot of times we don't necessarily know like the right things to say but we might recognize something is wrong so it's having that willingness to be able to one say it but then also be willing to admit that we might not have all of the answers on how to have those conversations and being willing to look for how to have those conversations. Um, So Cindy, what do you think could have helped from a like school level in that situation? Because like, obviously the PA teacher are telling you like, Hey, maybe this isn't like the greatest thing for him to be doing, or maybe this is inappropriate for him to be doing. But 
what protections do you think could have been there to make it easier for that teacher to report the substitute teacher or to inform somebody else of that relationship? So I would, I would say actually to start off from everything in general before he even got hired there because he started off as a sub and then became a PE teacher at a permanent capacity. I would say that the school district should have done a better job at checking his background. Um, so he already had a red flag in his background, but just because he wasn't convicted by it, they sort of dismissed it. So I would say school districts should be held accountable when it comes to even seeing a red flag, even if there's no charges pressed against them or they didn't get convicted. If it's a red flag showing they shouldn't get hired um, to begin with and having them placed around other students and children. Uh, as far as my PE teacher, I don't know exactly why he, he just didn't file a report or he didn't feel comfortable. I don't know if they were friends or not. Um, but I would say that I think there should have been more staff around the campus keeping an eye out just because at the time our school campus was over flooded with um, children and they were at a maximum capacity that they couldn't even pretty, pretty much control at the time. So it was a little bit over their hands. So I would, I would say having more staff around, maybe doing orientations in school maybe during gym or during a recess when it comes to talking about this type of situation, sexual abuse, sexual assault, and rape, that if they see any of the signs that they can probably speak to a counselor at school or a dean's or somebody from the dean's office, somebody that they can go and talk to or maybe their own teacher. Yeah, and one of the reasons that I asked that is because we know from the work that Amanda and I do, working on policies and everything is great. But if you don't have people who are going to follow through with those policies, the policies in place aren't doing anything to protect those kids. They're just going to be there then. So making sure that staff are going to follow through with those policies, making sure that they're going to report things even if they feel uncomfortable by it or they just get like that idea like, hmm, maybe something is off here, having that willingness to report that, but then also know that there's not going to be any repercussions coming on to them if they were to report it. Because keeping kids safe should be the main priority. I mean, other than like, you know, teaching kids because it's a school. But you want kids to be safe in your school. And if you have people who aren't going to follow through with those policies, then something needs to change. So I think being able to hear it from the voice of somebody who experienced those failings kind of takes the onus off of a victim and puts it back on the environment that they were in to know that there are things that can be done in schools to protect kids. Now, sure, somebody might slip through the cracks, but as long as those policies are in place and they're being helpful, then there might not be as many. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just like you said, maybe like during that orientation, making sure that every student is aware that relationships outside of teacher-student specific um, are inappropriate 
that it's not allowed and that if it happens, it is on the fault of the adult. Um, letting letting kids know that, you know, if this were to happen to you, if these things start to make you uncomfortable, you are able to come talk to your school counselor or another teacher that you trust or whatever and giving them the the assurance that something will be done about it and it's not going to be just kind of you know um pushed to the side or that they're not going to be held accountable for the actions of an adult now Cindy I um I haven't had the chance to read all of your book but I did hear some like audio blurbs from it um and in the audio blurb that I listened to, you mentioned feeling how a lot of it was your fault or you started to put a lot of that blame on yourself. Um, and that is a common thing amongst victims of sexual assault where they are going to blame themselves in part because the person abusing them wants them to do that. But I want to hear from you. What could have been something or some things that might have helped you not place that blame on yourself or helped you release some of that blame from yourself? So for me personally, it was therapy. Therapy is what helped me accept that it was not my fault. So it took me a while, I would say a couple of years to finally accept that I didn't bring this upon myself, that it wasn't my fault, that I wasn't asking for it, that I wasn't to blame myself for even initiating these conversations with this man because at the end of the day I was a child at the time and this was an adult who knew right from wrong and took advantage of my insecurities and my situation at the time but it was therapy that really helped me understand that it was not my fault. I'm very glad to hear that therapy was helpful um, and one of the things I want to point out to our listeners, too, is that when we have things in our society like blaming a girl for being raped because of what she was wearing, we're creating a cultural belief system that victims of sexual assault can be to blame for those assaults. And when we do that, we allow for victims then to feel like it's their fault. And if they're feeling like it's their fault, it just adds one more barrier to them not wanting to talk about their story or share it or report it or start that healing journey from it because if it's like if they feel like it's their fault they might not even reach out to that therapist or they might not reach out to that friend to have that conversation so i just want us to recognize how important it is for all of us to work on creating a culture and a community that is safe for victims um, and also helps pull back or reduce some of those barriers to them reporting because by doing that, we're also making it more difficult then for those who will do harm to do that harm. So, Cindy, knowing that you have done work or are working on doing more work on communicating with survivors, what are some things that you think would aid in that conversation um, if somebody were to talk to somebody who is a survivor, who may not fully understand the ins and outs of a sexual assault or how those things can take place. I would say the first step is telling them that, that they believe them, because that's what it took for me to 
come forward and to say my story was hearing my friend tell me, I believe you. That's what gave me the confidence and the courage to speak up because I felt that even if it was just her believing me, I felt like somebody out there actually believed me versus all the other things that I had heard in the past that were the opposite of that when it came to speaking about it. Just having that first positive person tell me, I believe you, it did wonders for me. And having her be that hug for me, that ear to listen in, to be that support and telling me, I support you. She didn't know exactly in what, but if it was, if it was just even talking on the phone, if it was just, you know, a shoulder to cry on, if it was, I'll walk with you to the police station and make a report that felt very comforting for me. Yeah. We don't want victims to ever feel alone or feel isolated. Um, and believing them, like you said, is going to be a huge step in helping. So Cindy, you mentioned that you had started dating your husband while still dealing with this guy trying to be a part of your life and still trying to control you. So I'm wondering if you could share with us and our audience how somebody can navigate a conversation with somebody who's experienced sexual assault while in that dating relationship. Um, so like if their partner had experienced, experienced a sexual assault, how can their partner talk to them about it and also be supportive of their partner? So you mean if the partner finds out about the abuse somewhere along the relationship? Yes. Okay. So that one, that one's a little difficult for me because it wasn't supportive in the beginning, um, which I would say he had every right to doubt me because he felt betrayed. He felt that I lied to him for, for years that he felt that I didn't trust him enough to tell him this is what's going on. This is what's happening. He felt that I was cheating on him actually with, with the substitute teacher. So it took him a while to actually accept and realize that it was rape, that it was something that I didn't want, but it was just a man who became obsessed and was not willing to let me go and was just in a desperate situation that he was trying to do whatever he could to keep a grasp on me. And once he realized that, that's when the support came in. He, he's the one that encouraged me to come forward and tell the police, make a report. He's the one that encouraged me to pursue legal justice, to write my book also, and to also share my story with other people to give them a voice back. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I think it's what's important here is that even in our relationships, if we want to be truly and genuinely supportive of our partners, we're going to make those mistakes. Um, so like you said early on, he wasn't supportive, but now he's an incredible support system for you. So it's recognizing that some of the behaviors that we might do in our relationships aren't going to be conducive to having a healthy relationship and are not going to be helpful and supportive. It's once we gain those understandings of somebody and so their experiences that it allows for us to be more supportive and more helpful now, I'm not saying we have to make sure everyone tells us everything because there are things that we might not want to share or might not feel comfortable sharing, but just keeping in mind that we may never know everyone's story or everything that's going on 
But being willing to have those conversations and being willing to actually listen to what that person is telling us can go a long way. So thank you again, Cindy, for sharing your story with us. Um, Before we close this out, I just have two more questions for you. And one of those questions is, where can victims go to get help? Now, I know that Amanda and I both work for um, shelters of domestic and sexual violence, but those might not always be the places that survivors go for help or might feel comfortable going to. So where else could people go to get help? I would say um, if they don't want to pursue any legal justice um, to speak with the therapist, um, especially one that specializes with cases that involve that type of trauma, if it is something with legal pursuit, I would always encourage them if they're safe to file a report to the nearest police station that where the attack took place in. And usually there, there are programs that the counties can offer them um, for free therapies and other programs that they also have there as well. And also, like you mentioned, the, the shelters, maybe finding another shelter nearby them that they can go to if they feel comfortable doing that also. And what I'll point out is that all of us can know locations of shelters, can have those hotline numbers readily available, because if our friends talk to us, we can provide them with those resources, and that might be a great help to them too. And my last question for you, Cindy, is there any message that you would want to leave a victim or a survivor of sexual assault that might be listening? Yes, I would like to first of all say that I believe you. There is a community out there that believes you. It is not your fault, no matter what type of situation it was. It is not your fault. You were not too drunk. You were not dressed too provocatively. You were not asking for it. You can reclaim your voice. You can move on from the trauma. You can get the help that you need. Your life doesn't have to be something where you're captive to those traumatizing events and memories. There is hope out there and above all else, and I know I didn't mention it here, but I'm a firm firm believer in Christ and Jesus Christ was my personal breakthrough when it came to my healing and being free. I believe that he's the only one that can set you free and give you everlasting peace and restore you and make a new creation in you. Well, thanks again, Cindy, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on. Um, do you have any socials that you want to spread out to our audience as well as where can our audience find your book? Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram at underscore Cindy underscore Arvalo. And you can buy the book off of Amazon. Um, Just type in Living in Silence by Cindy Arvalo and it'll pop up. Or you can also get the Audible. You go to Audible and you type in Living in Silence. It'll also be there as well. Awesome. And I will make sure I have both of those links available in our show notes for anybody who is interested in following Cindy on Instagram as well as purchasing her book. I, for one, am going to be reading it and I cannot wait to read through it. So again, thank you, Cindy, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at TouchySubsPod. Email us any questions, comments, or concerns to TouchySubjectsPodcast at gmail.com. And please rate us on any of your podcast listening apps. It really does help the show out. 
And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.